Today we start the 21st day of Great Lent, literally the midpoint. We finished the first half of these first 40 days yesterday, and today we start the second half. Of course, we have to go through Lazarus Saturday and Palm Sunday, the Great Feast, and then Holy Week to arrive at Pascha, but we're halfway through. And if you have availed yourself, which I hope all of you have in some fashion, uh, of the, the uh, curriculum that's given to us in the School of Repentance that Great Lent is, if you've availed yourself of that, you probably are a little weary. Maybe you're a little tired. You're a little, you know, if you're, if you're like me, you're a peanut butter eater, you're a little tired of all of that peanut butter. <laughs> but actually, I never get tired of peanut butter. <clears throat> so I don't know if that's really fair. In any event, the church says to us, in its wisdom, we need some sort of boost at this midpoint. We, we want to finish this course of these 40 days to get to that little small celebration of those two days of Lazarus Saturday and Palm Sunday, which will encourage us then to get that last week done. And so, what does it offer us? It offers us a picture of Pascha. No, it doesn't. It offers us the cross. How is the cross a boost to us? The cross is where our Lord died. For most people in the Western world and Christendom, it's, it's, this, it's, this, it's this great event of, of the Lord Himself becoming a victim for us. We don't view it exactly the same way as Orthodox, as those go back to the, the very beginning. And in fact, if you listen to the words of our hymns and our prayers, and the benedictions you hear refer, refer to the cross as the precious and life-giving cross. How is an instrument of death a life-giving cross? There's some people I've heard who said that in, in the time of Jesus, if you had seen a cross, you would have thought about it the way we think about a guillotine. When you think of the picture in your mind a guillotine, what do you, th- you you have this picture of it, I know, and you think... Oh, somebody's about to die. This is ugly. It is ugly. And if you had seen a cross in, you would have thought ugly. But it's not ugly to us because it's been transformed. It becomes life-giving. How is it life-giving? Because that's the place that death was transformed. Not from the tomb. On the cross. How? Because the God-man dies. The God-man dies on the cross. And when God, the God-man, touches death, it is forever changed. When God embraces death in His flesh, it is transformed. It's no longer an end point. It's no longer a bottomless pit. Now what is it? It's a passageway for us. Yes, we will die physically. Albeit unless the Lord comes back and and, and spares us that and we see Him in great glory coming in our lives. But in all probability, we will all die in the flesh. But for us, it's not an end point. It's a beginning point. It's an entryway by the mercy of God into the the bosom of Abraham. It's life-giving. And so that's our remembrance today. And that's what gives us hope is that death has been changed. And although we'll all face it, it's not the terror that the world wants to make it. In our scriptures today, we have this 
I want to speak about two parts of them. And, and <clears throat> as some of you remember, one of our older members, Andy Alessandratus, was a, 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 a watch, watch watcher. And if I got to about nine minutes, he would do this. <laughs> and, and if I stayed under nine minutes, he would, he would greet me in coffee hour and say, how wonderful my sermon was. <laughs> so I'm probably going to, he's going to sort of shake his head where he is now. He said, he, I told him, forgive me. I don't get to do this very often, so maybe I'll wear you out a little. <laughs> one of the best movies ever made, and, and one of my favorites, if not my favorite, is, is a movie called A Man for All Seasons. And The Man for All Seasons is, is completely about the interaction and conflict between Henry VIII and a very, very pious Roman Catholic by the name of Sir Thomas More. Sir Thomas More... Uh, would never condescend to agree that his divorce from Catherine was sanctioned by the church. Thomas was probably one of the most revered men in all of England for lots of reasons. And, and Henry VIII wanted his uh, acceptance of it so that the, the, the people would accept it. And he kept fighting with Thomas and... and uh, and he tried to persuade him. He tried to trick him. He did. Finally, he imprisoned him. And he takes all his books away. He's a great man of learning. He wouldn't let him see his daughter. He wouldn't let him see his wife. He fed him poorly. And so finally, he takes him into, before the uh, parliament, it wasn't called parliament then, but it would have been, the, whatever the legislative body would have been there, is, is the, House of Commons or Lords, and, and as they sat there together, they put him on trial and put a chair in the middle in the movie. It's, it's very accurate, actually. And, and they put him in front of everybody and he sit him down there. And, and Thomas has not done anything yet to give evidence that he counsels this as a good thing. And so those who have been instructed to rule over the, the proceedings there proceed to bring a witness. And this was a witness who had actually worked for Thomas. And he perjured himself. He told lies about Thomas. And the lies were such that it was treasonous. And so now, what did they have? Well, this man who won't counsel this, he's a traitor to, the, to, the, to England. And so they give Thomas a chance to speak. In fact, they started, they started to just pronounce a sentence and Thomas raised his hand. He says, back when I practiced law, we always gave the accused a chance to speak. Do we not do that anymore? Everybody had already stood up and they all sat back down. And um, so he addressed his former servant, Master Richard, and he says, Master Richard, I see you have a new insignia hanging from your neck. And he says, what is it? And he says, it's, it's the emblem for Wales. I've become the, the, the chancellor for Wales. And so Thomas thinks a minute and he says, Master Rich, it says in the scriptures, what shall it profit a man 
If he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul. There's a little pause. He says, but for whales? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we don't even get whales. Lots of times we are tempted to lose our souls for other things, aren't we? How do we avoid that? How do we avoid losing our souls and making something else our God, making something else more profit? The Lord gives us the answer to that in the scriptures today in that opening sentence. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever. He he doesn't force you to do this. He gives you a great blessing of deciding to do this Voluntarily, Because he made you in his image. He says to you, you get to decide. If you want to experience what you were meant to experience, if you want to avoid losing your soul, do these three things. And the order is very important. Deny yourself. What do we deny ourselves? Well, we're in the fast right now. I hope you're denying yourself of some bit of food, if not, if not several things, but some. There's a little self-denial. That's good. That's part of what the church is giving to you. It's giving you a regimen to sort of enter into and do what Christ calls you to do, to do some self-denial. It's, it's not trying to be mean to you. It's, God and His mercy and His kindness to the agency of the church and, and, and it's... Its practices is is helping you to find heaven. Deny yourself. But I'm going to give you a a charge. And and this is certainly not original with me. But let's, let's all together try to deny ourselves of one thing for the rest of Lent. I mean, if you can do the food, if you can do other things. John Christensen says... You know, the fast is not just about food. It's about fasting from sin. Fasting from doing things that you shouldn't do. And in fact, St. Innocent of Alaska, who was, who was one who understood self-denial a great deal, says this, to deny oneself means to give up one's bad habits. Bad habits. To root out of the heart all that ties us to the world. Not to cherish bad desires and thoughts. To quench, suppress bad thoughts. To avoid occasions for sin. Not to do or to desire anything from self-love. But to do everything out of love for God. To deny oneself means, according to the Apostle Paul, to be dead to sin and the world but alive to God. Great words. But I'm going to give you one simple thing to do. But it's, it's simple, but it's hard. It's very hard. Let us together try for the rest of Great Lent to deny ourselves the sinful pleasure of speaking ill of others. Think about it for a minute. Lots of times we speak ill of others and and we are so accustomed to it, we don't even think of it as speaking ill. In our unfortunate sort of political atmosphere we have, there are people on all sides and they speak ill of the other sides all the time. They call them names. They say, I hate this. How many times do you or I do this? I find myself doing it. I just hate that. Well, hate's not from God. (laughs) Can we hold our tongues for the rest of Lent? Can we deny ourselves 
that sinful pleasure of speaking ill of others. That's our, that's our little homework. Having denied ourselves, he then says to take up your cross. Take up your cross. What does that mean? St. Nikolai Velomirovich says, what does it mean to take up your cross? It means the willing acceptance at the hand of providence of every means of healing, bitter though it may be, that is offered. Whatever comes our way, we trust the mercy of God in that. We trust that God is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't poured out misery upon us. He doesn't do that. He pours out mercy upon us. Misery may come. It's a consequence of living in a fallen world. It's a consequence sometimes of our own sin. It's a consequence of other people's sin. But if we can take what comes our way and make it our instructor we are taking up our cross. And we're called to do that. And if we take up our cross, the next thing and the last is to follow Him. St. Nikolai goes on and speaks about following Him. He says, well, why do you, you know, he says, unless you follow Him, then you're taking up your cross doesn't have a lot of merit. He says, unless you take up your cross and follow the one who died for you and me, then it's just misery. Take up your cross and follow Him. He also says, you probably won't get through, you probably won't finish carrying your cross unless you do follow Him. What does it mean to follow Him? To love Him, to trust Him, to believe the truth. He loved you, He loved me. He died for us, but He rose for us. And we're celebrating. We know he changed death because we celebrate that today, and we're pushing toward that that day where we're going to celebrate. He didn't just destroy death, but in fact, he took life back up in the tomb, and shows us how to live in that hereafter. What a great blessing it is! Today we will have a, a, a wonderful time of, of of venerating this precious cross. May it stick in our hearts today, but for the rest of Great Lent. May it enable us to deny ourselves from speaking ill of others. For our sake and for the world. May we reveal the love of God to others by our refusal to do that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God.